You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is uh, the uh, Doctor's Lounge. You're on America's Web Radio. Every every week we bring you information so you can advocate for your family and for your um, your health care needs. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Um, and uh, we would love for you to support us and go to our website at www.pcfoundation.org um, so that we can continue to bring this show to you and do all the other work that we do um, on a regular basis. So um, today my guest is Grace Marie Turner. She's a dear uh, longtime friend. She's a supporter of this show, of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. She is the uh, president of the Galen Institute, which is uh, one of the preeminent healthcare think tanks in the country. Um, she's uh, been on this show a number of times. She's on the board of uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation, and we are delighted to have her back in studio. Grace Marie, welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. It's such a pleasure to be with you, Dr. Scherz. Thank you very much for having me on, and kudos to you and all of your colleagues at Docs for Patient Care for the heroic work that you have done over several decades in getting attention for the, the crucial importance of independent physician practice. Well, thank you for your kind words. It's uh, it means a lot, and um, you know we uh, are right now um, living the Chinese proverb: "May you live in interesting times." Oh my goodness! And uh, it doesn't seem like um, we we. It's been too long ago that we last spoke, but so much has happened since we did. Oh my goodness! So true. You know. Um, the um, I, I remember back when we first met back in I think two thousand nine, and um, you know the uh, we were we were fighting uh, against the progressive wave uh, to try to um, overtake healthcare and bring it in under government control, and it seems like um, you know we haven't learned the lessons of history, have we? No, I do remember that first time that I that we met when we were all trying to educate the American people about how much damage Obamacare was going to do if it passed. It was obviously there were it was still an evolving evolving um, document and policies that were more or less aggressive and and when you and your colleagues showed up on Capitol Hill all in your in your white lab coats it was such a such an incredibly incredible sight to actually see physicians in Washington advocating for their profession and not sort of having bowing to the AMA and it's uh, what eventually has become it's giving in to, to government control. And here you were standing up for independent physician, physician practices, as you have done ever since then. And it, it was really incredibly impressive. And the, the impact that you have had and the people that the policymakers at the federal and state level, le- levels that you have 
influenced and educated has just been awesome, and obviously it's a it's an ongoing and continuing challenge. Yeah, you know, you, you it seems almost like we take three steps forward and two steps back when it yeah. comes to um, trying to um, advocate for patients and for um, better health care for Americans, and it, it's a it's an ongoing battle. Um, versus those who really don't seem to um, have the interests of patients um, at the forefront, but instead are beholden to the special interests in healthcare that um, have led to so many problems that we are currently facing. I know we'll get into this, but this legislation that passed the House, the Congress finally yesterday and will be signed into law by President Biden is it's full of new subsidies for Obamacare, lifting the ceiling on people who are eligible. My colleague Brian Blaze has done a paper for us showing that that in some areas of the country that have particularly high health care costs, that a family he uses the example of a family of five, so teenagers with a 60-year-old head of household, which is not outside the realm of possibility, and having being able to be eligible for like $20,000 in taxpayer subsidies for health insurance if they make $350,000 a year. The subsidies don't end until the family makes of half a million dollars a year. I mean, this is such a giveaway. And yet younger people and, and younger families with lower incomes get just a, a paltry increase, something like $1,000 in their in their subsidies. But all of that money, Dr. Schurz, all of that money is going directly to health insurance companies. And the, why does that happen? It's because they continue to raise their prices. And whenever they raise their prices, then the federal government just pumps more money into the coffers. I mean, it's just... You just look at yourself and you think they're, subsi- they're, they're, they're subsidizing health insurance companies and wealthy Americans. What is wrong with this picture? Well, now that you've brought it up, it goes far deeper than that. And, and uh, I know that you know the details better than most people and will be able to explain this. But the um, this COVID relief bill also um, pumps money into Medicaid to try to um, continue the the um, escalation of Medicaid recipients in this country. Um, the states that um, held fast and did not expand Medicaid are now going to be pressured to uh, to um, give in and expand their Medicaid programs. And not only does it do that, but this bill also. Um, it it um, disincentivizes people in employer-based health plans to continue on those health plans because the it is um, more affordable for them to um, transition into an Obamacare plan. That's exactly right. And Brian's paper, which is on our website at galen.org, details all of that. You're absolutely right that there is a huge incentive for people who may even have very good health insurance through their employer to to leave that insurance 
and sign on with Obamacare. And employers will have an incentive to make that coverage, quote, unaffordable so that people will qualify because there's certain thresholds. The insurance has to be unaffordable to you at the employer uh, from the employer in order to qualify for the subsidies. What does that mean? That means that employers are going to drop coverage. So we're going to we're going to begin to disintegrate the employer-based health insurance market through which the majority of Americans get their health coverage. I think it's 160, 170 million workers, dependents, and retirees get their health insurance through their workplace. And this bill, in one fell stroke, without any bipartisan support, is going to begin to dissimilate, to dissolve that health insurance at the in, in the workplace. And at the same time, you're also correct, of course, that there are uh, huge incentives for states to to begin to, to expand and um, to boost up their Medicaid programs. There are 12 states that have not expanded. Obviously, the Supreme Court gave them the option when Obama after court challenges, the Obamacare, uh, original Obamacare gave them a huge incentive to expand Medicaid up to 138% of poverty, and this bill gives them even even more incentives by giving them the 100% match rate that was originally available if they expand, and I think it's going to be very difficult for those 12 states, which are mostly states that, that see the how how much trouble expanding Obamacare has caused to the states that have done this. They wind up with so many more people than they had anticipated. The costs are so much higher, but once they do it, and once people lose the private coverage they have had, which in the case of the Obamacare expansion is at least 40%, I think it's going to be even higher in this new COVID, this new expansion passed under the umbrella of COVID, it's only going to be more difficult for states to to resist, but it also mean, means that even more people are going to drop private coverage to go on the, on the dole. Well, I, I live in one of those states that did not expand yeah. Medicaid um, in Georgia, and um, I, can, I can probably speak of this better than most people because I actually see a a tremendous number of Medicaid patients. As the only pediatric urology group in the state of Georgia, it's it's our um, duty, our obligation to see everybody and not turn anybody away. So we we don't have any kind of discrimination based on payer class. And I can tell you that um, the number of Medicaid patients um, in the state of Georgia has gone up. In fact, Georgia has the per capita the largest number of children on Medicaid in the country. Oh my goodness! And it is going up, and um, and it's not a good thing. the The left would like to to um, to pull the wool over people's eyes and and um, and and try to. Um, I try to convince um, objectors how good this is, but it's just the opposite. When when you have Medicaid that predominates, hospitals are 
not incentivized to um, see patients on Medicaid because reimbursement is so low. And so they wind up either um, not expanding services or they close. And so, so you've got more and more people going to fewer and fewer places, and um, the Medicaid card simply gives you an opportunity to get on an expanding line. And it's it's really it's really very frustrating, you know. For with us, we we uh, we you know provide excellent care, but that's not true in a lot of other places. We we did a paper on twelve reasons why states should not expand Medicaid, and number one on the list is because it harms the poor. And you see it. You see that when you have middle class people middle-income people dropping their private coverage to go on to Medicaid, what does that do? It makes it more difficult for the, the, the physicians who can afford or are able to take Medicaid patients. It makes it more difficult for those who have nowhere else to go to get, to get care and to get coverage. I had a physician who lives in Daytona Beach, um, treats, um, is an internist with a specialty in lung problems, and he had one patient come to him on Medicaid who was a pretty complex case. He said under, normally he said I would have been Bill, I would have been uh, compensated about seven hundred and fifty dollars for that for that office bill visit. When he finally got the check from Medicaid, after as you know, enormous amount of paperwork and back and forth, the check was for one penny. Oh my goodness! And you wonder why did not more physicians take Medicaid? Well, they can't afford to. Their no. doors would close. No. And as you say, it's particularly difficult with rural hospitals where more and more patients are on, on Medicaid, which pays way below the cost of providing those services. If you don't have in the mix private health insurance, which, you know, it has it it pays more, but that also means its premiums are higher, then you you can't you can't make it work. You can't can't keep the lights off. So you're 100% right there, and and um, this is a great segue into some of the work that you and the coalition that you've put together is is trying to um, uh, to popularize, to advocate for, which is personalized care. So um, why don't you um, take a moment and. Um, and explain to our listeners what is possible and and what people should really aspire to. Mm. Well, thank you for that. I, I facilitate a group called the Health Policy Consensus Group. It's a group that we have um, really kept going for the entire 25-year life of the Galen Institute and actually a bit before then to help promote free market ideas in health policy, particularly ideas that keep doctors and patients in charge of health care decisions. We've been working on this since the Hillary Care days and, and through Obamacare and, and now. And we have, I, we actually had a meeting, a virtual meeting yesterday, and I have about 250 people on my invitation list. Obviously, now that we are virtual, more people from around the country can join us than when we were having meetings in Washington and, and sometimes on a weekly basis. <laughs> in occupied Washington, I may, I may add. 
I'm sorry? In occupied Washington. Oh, my. Oh, can I just say parenthetically, it is so much worse than than any picture that you've seen. It is it is truly a nightmare. When you go up to Capitol Hill, usually it's a beautiful place, whatever goes on inside the Capitol, the Capitol the Capitol grounds and the surrounding areas are beautiful. It they are twelve foot fences with barbed wire. It looks like a prison with a few gates with tanks and armed National Guard soldiers. And the streets are completely closed on both sides of, of Congress. I have no idea. If there were traffic in Washington, which there's not, it's a ghost town when there aren't riots. And it is a it is absolutely awful to see what they have done and, and keeping that 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 um, the barbed wire up because they are wanting to send a message that oh it might happen again. I mean it's just horrible to see what they're done. I don't know what, what they're how they're ever gonna come down. Well, you know we could spend a whole show and and maybe even get a little bit into some of the nonsense that's going on that uh, they're trying to uh, um, to sell to Americans. But let's get back to yes, back personalized to, back care. To health, my health policy consensus group. So, so as a result of all this, we're meeting, meeting virtually, and we have people from state think tanks, national think tanks. We have some physicians who join us. I think, how you're on my list. And, uh, whenever you're not in, in surgery <laughs> and treating patients, you're always uh, hope to have you join us. Yes. But we have... We have developed a plan called the Healthcare Choices 2020 Plan, a vision for consumer-driven, free market, patient and doctor-centered health reform. And it's a very serious plan. It's 50 single-space pages. It's a basket of about 10 different categories of recommendations that we believe begin to move us more and more toward free market ideas and health reform. We released the final version of this. It was released initially in 2018 after we did a lot of work to come up with a better plan for Congress that, that finally actually does unify conservatives. There have been these battles forever between whether health insurance subsidies should go through tax credits or tax deductions, and it really divided the movement. And this is a cohesive new idea that basically says, you know, we've got to get Washington out of it, and we've got to have money flow through the states ultimately to patients and doctors, and particularly patients being able to make their own decisions about health coverage with a broader range of choices than Obamacare provides them, and give people the option to... Um, to have health insurance, you know, if, if let's say two people are working at different, spouses are working at different companies, both of them have access to health insurance, but it only subsidizes health, health insurance generously for the employee, and the employee then has to pay for the employer, for the dependent coverage. Well, this would allow them to basically combine their resources to be able to buy a policy, a family policy. And, you know, you have now, you have, you know, one parent being on um, on private insurance, another one may qualify for um, for a different program, and it's, it's hard enough and complex enough to not be able to have uh, the, the 
the insurance coverage that works for them as a family. And also, importantly, our plan also has provisions that would give more support to direct primary care that you have had such a leadership role in to give people the the option of using some of their some of their resources to pay directly pay physicians directly so that they are able to get out of the insurance umbrella for their for their primary care and and maybe also for um, for other types of care so it's not just uh, primary care physicians so the people have more choices by controlling the money themselves. So this this plan has, has a great deal of support on Capitol Hill, but unfortunately it's by the support is among those who are not in power. So this is this is the alternative to Medicare for all and to the public option that that we know that the left is going to be pushing hard to get through while they have total control of Washington White House and both houses of Congress. So we've got to have a firewall to say, no, there's a better idea. Our plan has been scored as, as saving uh, about a third on health insurance, but a quarter to a third on, on health insurance costs. It covers more people. It doesn't take a penny of new federal spending and ultimately gives people many more choices of, of health coverage and health care arrangements so that they're in charge of choices. I mean, we think this is what the American people want, but Medicare for all just sounds like, you know, the slogan sounds so easy when, of course, when you dive down into that, it's, it's a, a nightmare that A, would bankrupt Medicare, and B, Medicare for all would look nothing like Medicare does today. People want choices. They want the market to work. They get it in the other parts of the economy. When Washington is con- controlling all of the the market, so so to speak, and p- pumping in more and more deficit spending dollars, that that causes inflation and it reduces people's choices. And we see it, as you say, with Medicaid, where it a pays so little, but more and more people are on Medicaid because it's. Free, and it's but the system is just not going to work. So you've already said that this is not going to go anywhere now because we are the people who support this have absolutely no say in what's happening right now. So is this intended to be more of a roadmap for um, for the? Um, the Republicans, conservative legislators, is this supposed to be a um, an aspirational list for the public to see what's possible? What what's what what's the the uh, intent here? Well, there are there are about um, I think we counted individually maybe thirty five specific recommendations, and members of Congress are are have the opportunity, and some are, using individual recommendations as amendments in in the legislation that's going through. There's a lot of interest in this at the state level to where there are more, there's a um, 
more control among Republicans at in state legislatures than before the 2020 election. So there's there's a lot of interest. I actually had a physician from New Mexico who's in the state Senate call me and ask for some ideas, and we talked about, you know, well, how about allowing more um, freedom and control for state employee plans to begin to have more options than the, the, the two or three plans that are available to them now. That would revive the market for health insurance, give them the ability to use some of their money to pay for direct primary care. I mean, there, there are lots of things that, that state legislators can do, so we're working with them as well. But the, it doesn't have to be passed as one whole. It really also can be ideas that we begin to place to create a found, a, more of a foundation for a doctor and patient controlled health sector than we have now. It's not going to happen all in one fell swoop anyway, but to your point, doctors, yes, it's very important that this concept be used to help educate people to before the next elections so they see there is an alternative how? to more and more government control over over the health sector. Grace Marie, the challenge, and, and maybe you can speak about this, is what we're dealing with on a daily basis with social media censorship mm-hmm. and cancel culture. And um, how, how, how do you get, how do you message things in this climate these days? I think that people are increasingly frustrated and um, are are trying to think of of different ways to uh, be able to um, uh, to counter the propaganda that's coming out of the propaganda ministry in Washington. I have to tell you, I have I've never seen anything like this. I started my career as a journalist, working for the Albuquerque Journal in New Mexico, and wound up working uh, in Washington as a Washington correspondent for a couple of different papers. And I, I've never seen this, uh, the shutdown, not only of alternative voices and views, but how unashamedly biased the media is and how much in lockstep they are with the Democratic Party. There is no critical thinking going on and and there are fewer and fewer places for those who have an alternative view to, to get an audience for their ideas. It's 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 shocking to me. I I really believe in this world of media and communications that that something's that something's going to break because there are you know maybe a hundred million people who are feeling disenfranchised by this, and we've got to figure out how are we going to get our messages out. But but as a think tank, we're producing research, and we I used to do speeches in person. Obviously, we can't do that any longer. COVID do some virtually, but it's not the same. I used to do lots of much more radio. Some days I'd have seven or eight radio interviews. I had op-eds, two or three op-eds every every week in papers around the country that were interested in everything from the Wall Street Journal to the Santa Fe New Mexican. And, and now, if you have conservative views and you're opposing what the power center in Washington says, they don't want to hear it. Mm. Well, you know, I think that uh, this is going to be 
uh, a, a fight. It's the, the pendulum is swung in the wrong direction, and, and uh, it's going to just take a lot of uh, uh, s- strong people who are unafraid to continue to uh, get the message out to the public, and that's what we do here, and we're going to take a hard break right now and come back to you in the next half with my guest, Grace Marie Turner, so please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the Doctor's Lounge. My guest today is dear friend and uh, supporter of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and the president of the Galen Institute, Grace Marie Turner. We're having a very spirited conversation about uh, about what's possible in healthcare if we moved in a different direction than what we're seeing coming out of Washington and uh and we were just uh when we left we were talking about uh the difficulty in messaging and um you know one of the things that uh that people don't realize is that um president trump was actually a tremendous asset to healthcare, he the things that happened in his administration were were um, moved moved healthcare in a very positive direction. In in uh, two months, President Biden has signed almost seventy executive orders, and his goal has been to dismantle much of the achievements of President Trump. How damaging! Do you think this has been to uh, the healthcare environment, Grace Marie? Oh, it just breaks my heart. I, as as you said, President Trump's administration, after the failure of repeal and replace, Congress's failure to get that to get that across the line, they realized we're not going to get anything from Congress, especially when after Nancy Pelosi and Democrats took took control of Congress in, in twenty eighteen. Brian Blaze, as I mentioned earlier, one of our senior fellows at the Galen Institute, was President Trump's chief health policy advisor in the White House for the first two and a half years of the Trump administration. And he shepherded through really important um, regulations and rules that 
for a change actually move us in the right direction to um, to allow the market to begin to work, to give con- consumers more information, more control. One example was the transparency regulation that, that allows people to know how much does something cost before they before they um, get the get the care and the service. The the, the uh, rule that would allow association health plans for people to uh, small businesses to be able to aggregate to get some economies of scale in purchasing health insurance. Mm-hmm. That rule was implemented immediately, put on hold by a lawsuit that continues. And short-term uh, health plans. Short-term plans. Really a wonderful. Three million people have now health insurance that they otherwise wouldn't because short-term plans are now available. The Obama administration had shut them down for 90 days. What good is an insurance policy that lasts 90 days? And now they, people can buy them for a year and renew them for up to three years. Mm-hmm. That's right. And the policies are often half the cost of an Obamacare policy. These are people who, at least before this last latest bill, didn't qualify for subsidies for health insurance because they made too much, and the premiums, Obamacare premiums, were completely unaffordable to them. So they were they're a boon to people, mm-hmm. and they often provide better access to physicians and hospitals than the Obamacare plans do. Right. And if you live in Texas, good luck if you have cancer because none of the major tr- uh, medical centers in Texas will can afford to take an Obamacare plan. But right. they do take short-term limited duration plans. And I've had I've had a, 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 people write to me. A dad wrote to me saying, I couldn't afford to buy the Obamacare insurance. I needed to protect my kids. So I got a short-term plan for my two boys. Tragically, several, you know, within several months later, one of the children was diagnosed with cancer, leukemia. And he said, so far the insurance company has paid more than $200,000 toward my care, the care for my son. He said, I don't know what I would have done if the short-term plan had not been available. But but states still had the option under after, under this rule of continuing to stay with the limited restrictions that Obamacare imposed. California, for example, doesn't allow short-term plans for longer than 90 days. New York, other mostly blue states. But Brian just did a paper showing that in those states that fully allow short-term plans, and I believe Georgia is one of them. Yes. In those states, the private markets have actually done better because insurers have to the insurers that had only been selling through through Obamacare now have to compete with the short-term plans. Premiums are going down and coverage is going up, so they're not harming this. But there's very you know, the Congress is also going to try to shut down short-term plans. Those are the ones they call junk plans, which are not. But I think probably one of the most important regulations that the Trump administration passed was or, uh, was got through the the regulatory thicket was health reimbursement arrangement, mm-hmm. which allows the uh, employers instead of of having to pick health a health plan or health plans for their employees, they also have the option of giving the value of that subsidy to their employee 
on this with the same tax benefit yes. so that the employee can take that and buy a plan or a health care arrangement that may suit them better. Absolutely. So this is really an important step in giving people more options than their employer can af- can provide and and once again encouraging the private marketplace to be more responsive to the needs of consumers and therefore more personalized care with doctors that are actually um, that they can pick their their doctors rather than having the plan pick them for them or their employer. So this is the health reimbursement arrangements is a, is a really wonderful idea, and uh, we'll see what they do. They if, if all of these went through the formal regulatory process, so they'd have to go through the formal regulatory process to undo them, and or pass legislation to undo them. And, and I'm worried that they may do that. But we're we're going to fight hard for those kind of reforms. There were a lot of things uh, done by CMS with both Medicare and Medicaid through the regulatory process to give people more choices and more options. Georgia got a waiver to be able to uh, to spend some of the Obamacare money in a different way to better serve their. The, the citizens of Georgia. So there are so many things that were done by the Trump administration, and and I I do worry over four years are any of those going to still be standing? Well, that's that's a worry that we all have. It's um, you know, uh, it's, it's the the um, this administration and the people who support it um, feel that um, that people are are um, not capable of making decisions for themselves, Correct. that the government is better suited to decide what they need. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the the movie Weekend at Bernie's. Are you familiar with that movie? No, but I'll watch it. Weekend at Bernie's is a, is a just take a one minute, is, a, is a, a comedy from, I think it was from the 90s, um, with Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman, who who were employers for this uh, guy Bernie, who embezzled money from his business, and and he got he got murdered, and and it's a, it's it's a very it's a very light, entertaining comedy. But Bernie was was um, murdered, and these two guys, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman, um, wanted to uh, live the high life. Bernie was very, very wealthy. had had lived in a, 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 a cl- in a club community. had a boat. You know, went, had lavish parties, and so they they lugged him everywhere. He was dead, but they they made him seem like he was alive. Oh, right. A- and right. and so he. I know where you're going. And um, th- that's unfortunately where where we are right now. Th- there are people who are r- really the shadow government. These these executive orders are not the the ideas of um, of President Biden. It's it's of unaccountable, unelected individuals who are putting in front of him um, papers to sign. And it's really um, it's it's so disturbing that um, yeah, and I, I don't need to reiterate what um, is said on conservative radio and TV every day that, about him not doing press conferences or not being um, accountable to to um, you know any kind of questioning. But you always see either 
uh, Kamala Harris or Jill Biden at his elbow. He's never alone. He's always got a handler right next to him. And and um, you know what? We're I'm, I'm really so concerned that um, that every leftist idea is going to get through because because really he is he is uh, incapable of pushing back. That's right, I, and I do. I, I, I'm very concerned. I mean, I've known Senator Biden, former Senator Biden, um, from my earliest days in Washington when I worked in the United States Senate. And, you know, he's always been somebody who would, um, and it was a, a moderate Democrat from Delaware. And he has been, I mean, the, the, the things this administration has done in the first 50 days is shocking and it's just shocking in how how liberal how progressive these policies are how little regard for deficit spending of nearly two trillion dollars with 10 percent of that money going to covid relief and most of it going as payouts to to democratic constituencies it's just really shocking and, and it's the kind of thing that that senator biden would never have supported and i do worry as you as you implied about his his ability to fight back he in his news conference a couple of days ago he couldn't remember the name of his secretary of defense and or the, Pent- Austin, or the pentagon and, and somebody that had worked in the obama administration said and, you know, as a senior position, he knows him, but he couldn't remember his name. And I just, it is just tragic to me. And then you have no checks and balances, as the Founding Fathers had had envisioned, in in Congress. There's, there's, the minority is absolutely silent. If anything is going to be stopped, it's one senator, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, from a deep red state, a Democrat from a deep red state, but even he has said, Absolutely, he would not. He wouldn't vote for the COVID relief bill, the two trillion dollar COVID relief bill, unless it was bipartisan. It had bipartisan support. Well, it didn't have bipartisan support, but he voted for it anyway. Yes. He said, "I absolutely will not vote to break the filibuster." Well, we'll see about that. But the, that that's every time he said, "I absolutely won't do that," he gets his arm twisted and goes along with the Democrats. So I I don't think that there's any. Any way to put on the brakes of this, at least for the next two years, we'll see what happens in the 2022 elections next year. But but in the meantime, goodness gracious, they are just, if they continue this pace for the next two years, even that is going to be terrifying. And unfortunately, Georgia, you know, which everybody thought would be the firewall so that we'd at least have one house, the Senate, that's collapsed in Jan- on January the 5th. Well, so I um, it's it's I've never seen anything like well, this well, in my several decades. Hopefully that that debacle won't happen again. Our um, our state legislature is working um, feverishly at trying to protect the elections. And so uh, despite God. despite pushback from um, leftists like Stacey Abrams, who's the darling of the Democrat Party, um, this hopefully will, um, Georgia will lead the way. And I know that there are at least another dozen states that in their legislatures are, are um, approaching election integrity um, in, in a similar fashion. Well, you know, that when Florida, after the debacle in two, the year 2000 and the Bush versus Gore mm-hmm. presidential the contest. Hanging chads. 
their hanging chads and all the nonsense, they got to work. And within a year, they had passed legislation that that has made now Florida really the model for how elections should be run. So I, I think that a lot of states are going to wake up and see that this is uh, it's just imperative that they do this. But you know, is the Supreme Court going to allow again any uh, any any elected official in the state who may not agree with the legislation to overrule them like they did in Pennsylvania and and in Georgia? I mean, it, we've got to have some checks and balances. And so far, the Supreme Court has has refused to take up any of those cases. Yeah, we we uh, it remains to be seen. So I want to switch gears for just a second and um, talk, ask you um, your thoughts on health and human services. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we've got a nominee for secretary, um, um, Becerra. Congressman Becerra, who has uh, who um, got no health care experience and right. has a, a long track record of uh, very radical health care ideas and his uh, his um, uh, I guess assistant secretary Rachel Levine yeah from uh, Pennsylvania yes so I'm going to leave the floor open to you to weigh in on those on those yeah. individuals it I I cannot imagine that they would have that the Biden administration would name someone with so much influence over our health sector that knows almost nothing about health care. I mean, he's, he was a member of Congress, as you said, is currently Attorney General of the State of California, and all he has done is 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 sue to be able to advance the liberal agenda, and that's that's really his track record. And and he is um, he's gone through hearings. He a pretty tough tough time in the hearings. I don't know if, if people want to look up Senator Rand Paul's questioning of Attorney General Becerra because it is it's really brutal talking about his support for for. Um, transgender surgeries for children as oh, young as grade school and he never said he would not uh, that he would do anything to interfere with with payment for for those uh, transgender um, surgeries I don't even know the, the right terminology no you, you I, have the right terminology in fact I devoted a show to this um, yeah. last uh, two weeks ago that people can go back and listen to which is you know this is one of those areas that again I think I have a lot of expertise on and yeah, it's it's right. it's it's right. very very troubling it's abusive and it's just it's just shocking what kind of an agenda is that I do not understand and and just as I am a policy advisor and and happily on the board of Docs for Patient Care Foundation, I also am a volunteer policy advisor to the Catholic Medical Association. And we had a meeting on a uh, virtual meeting on Monday night, and people are very concerned, as all physicians are, about conscience protections and being able to practice medicine according to your beliefs and according to your principles and your values and your religion. And we all know that Bracera is the one who he says he's never sued the Little Sisters of the Poor, but the lawsuits that he was uh, that he was instrumental in actually couldn't, of course they affected the Little Sisters of the Poor, saying that they would have to provide 
abortifacients and contraceptives to their employees of their order, and they said we cannot do that. And of course, the Supreme Court has continued to to agree with them. But now you have somebody who's going to try to figure out other ways to force those who have different religious beliefs to violate their conscience protection. And it's just it's. I, I can't imagine. I mean, is, is Senator Manchin going to go along with this? I don't know. But in this 50-50 Senate, it, you, they have to have every Democrat. There may even be some Republicans who might support his his nomination. Merrick Garland, for Attorney General, got through, uh, got, I think he had about he 20 seven, Republican votes. Yes, I don't know what's going to happen here, but there is there is strong opposition the Wall Street Journal yesterday an editorial said this nomination should not go forward he has not shown either that he has the background and experience to run this department or that his his political agenda is anywhere with even marginally within the mainstream of america so his political agenda is actually also to give free health care to illegal aliens. Oh, yes, of course, and, right. And no, no um, discussion on health care with you would be complete without talking about the crisis at the border yes. in terms of what that means to the country vis-a-vis health care because we can't the, – the New York Mets are going to open up their baseball season with zero spectators because of the fear of COVID. And yet tens of thousands of people are pouring across the border every day or every week. Um, and um, and we're, we don't know what their health status is. Forgetting about COVID, there are other communicable diseases, tuberculosis, um, AIDS, other things that, um, you know, that, that people will, will come across the border with from a healthcare standpoint. And we don't, we're, we're closing our eyes and ignoring it and making believe that it doesn't happen. And, and on top of it, we want to vaccinate those people when there are millions of Americans who can't get vaccinations. And, um, and this is what Becerra supports. That's absolutely right. And and President Biden, I mean, he he's basically saying, come on in. The borders are open, and it has created huge crisis at the border. It has increased dramatically human trafficking, especially children who are used in order to get people across the border. And one of the amendments that was proposed by, I don't remember which member of Congress, uh, in this latest COVID bill, said that none of these fourteen hundred dollar fourteen hundred dollar checks should go to illegal immigrants. Guess what? The Democrats voted it down. So they are going to be given health care. They're going to be given money. They're going to be given all sorts of support if they come across. The president of Mexico is actually furious with the United States because it says it's creating a humanitarian crisis on his side of the border. Right. It's just, I, I mean, it is shocking to me. And once again, getting as many people in who could be registered as Democrats, it is so transparent. And the damage it is going to do to our to the, the COVID battles and and the effort over the last year to try to keep people safe, it just, I cannot believe that this administration that has said, oh, we'll follow the science and we'll protect everybody and we'll get this under control. Oh, and let's let's have hundreds of thousands of people 
without any health checks whatsoever, come flood into the border. The Texas national, the Texas is calling in the national guard to try to protect the state, but the federal government is fighting it all the way. It, this is again shocking, Jimmy. It is terribly shocking. So let's. Tr- we've got about uh, five minutes left in in uh, the show. So let's end on a on a happy note. So let's do and um, and talk about. Um, where we can um, uh, possibly go to to um, to what kind of what kind of efforts can can happen? Should people who are listening um, start to think about doing to try to um, move things in a positive direction? You know, we we things are going to get worse before they get better. I'm afraid, and and I hope that this opens up people's eyes, and I hope that it's not too late. It's not irretrievable, but but assuming that that's not the case. Give give people some hope about what they can do and how how um, you know things might hopefully change beginning in twenty twenty two. Let me give you three specific suggestions. First of all, I would recommend that people go to our dedicated website for the Healthcare Choices Plan. It's Healthcare Choices with an S twenty twenty Healthcare Choices twenty twenty dot org. And look at the plan and and materials and the the support that you we have seen um, for this plan, so that you can see the free market patient and doctor centered plan that is out there that has the support of eighty organizations and counting, and we'd love to have more. So uh, contact me and sign up. Hal knows how to get in touch with me. Number two, continue to educate your state and local officials, your state and federal officials, your state legislators, your members of Congress. Most of them are actually much more likely to be in their districts than they used to be. Some of them, you know, if you're in the right state, you can actually probably meet with them, but certainly can meet with them virtually to help them see that you, you're not going to fall into to lockstep with these liberal plans, that you want to have a free market option. And thirdly, work within your professional organizations. Docs for Patient Care is a wonderful one that has, has a big megaphone. Work with, within your local medical societies to help others see that, there, that we do not have to give in to this that we can fight back, we have better ideas, and frankly, the American people, I believe, are with us. Our plan and the, the pieces of our plan have 90% support when we do, do support, when we tell people this is what we're advocating. 90% support. Transparency is another one. You know, to make sure that people can have some power and control over their spending. So those, that's what I would recommend, <laughs> is to make sure that you have the facts, Look up the Healthcare Choices 2020 plan. Talk with your with your uh, legis- your elected officials, state and federal, and get engaged. Engage with your your societies. I'm happy, and my colleagues are happy to speak at any time to any group. I've, sp- I've spoken a number of times at, at Docs for Patient Care events, events mm-hmm. and um, am happy to do that to help people see um, the alternatives and and answer questions so 
engage, engage, engage. Don't give up. The American people are with us. We just have to open the doors so that in 2020, there can be at least a check on the Biden administration to stop this nonsense and and begin to get back to the center-right country that we are. And if you're not a doctor, let me give 3A, which is go and get engaged in um, your local Republican um, uh, committee and demand that they um, advocate for health care freedom and uh, hold them responsible. Right. And and really, any other profession, your, your uh, chamber, of, chamber of Commerce, the Federal Chamber of Commerce has gone over the hill, but local state chambers of commerce, business groups, um, you know, any group that you're part of, we're happy to come, we're happy to speak, we're happy to help educate people. So let us know how we can help as well. Uh, shall I give them my email address, yes. Alan? Can I do that? Sure, sure, absolutely. People can contact me at Grace Marie, all one word, G-R-A-C-E-M-A-R-I-E at Galen, G-A-L-E-N. And there's a lot more information on our website at galen.org of the pieces I've referred to in this in this program and lots, lots more. So Grace Marie at galen.org or, and visit us at galen.org. Grace Marie, it's been a pleasure to have you back here again. And I love, I always love speaking with you and uh, keep up the good fight. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be in these battles with you, Dr. Schurz. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Be with us next week when Dr. Scott will host, and I'll be back in, in, the, um, in, the, in the chair at the microphone in two weeks. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.